Season 1, Episode 17, Pete Kingman, Bible Story Evangelism, John 20:31. C.I. Schofield has this in his study Bible. His note is, Conclusion, Why John's Gospel Was Written. In verse 30 and 31, the Apostle John writes, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So, uh, I try to tell you why I picked the verses that I picked and uh, this must have moved me in a, a sermon or somebody's Facebook post or something. And it's just a, a very moving insight into uh, why Paul wrote. Um, he was the second most prolific writer of the New Testament. He wrote five um, of the 27 books, uh, second to Paul who wrote approximately half, depending on whether he wrote uh, Hebrews or not, which is, nobody knows for sure. He didn't, he always claimed the authorship of all the other books. If he did write Hebrews, that makes it a little different. But most scholars, I think, call Hebrews Pauline, which means it's Paul-like. So, at any rate, I think it's passed the test of, of uh, being in the canon, and it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's very... It's Jewish, but at the same time, it's it's all about Jesus Christ being better, a uh, better covenant than than what the Jews had to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. We look back, and that was a big change. Uh, the thief on the cross looked to his left or to his right. I'm not sure which cross he was on. I know he wasn't on the one in the middle. But um, anyway, I heard a sermon one time. Which one are you on? Which cross are you on? And the middle one is already taken. Um, are you on the one? They were both unbelievers at the beginning of the crucifixion. But by the time the nine hours were up, uh, or however many, I don't want to be dogmatic about how long he was on the cross, but he was taken down before evening, and it talks about the, uh, the third hour. I think which would be nine o'clock because the first hour or the zero hour would be sunrise and uh, it talks about the ninth hour which would be three in the afternoon at least that's the way I understand the Bible times which are a, a complete study extra biblical study all in themselves but very useful and uh, uh, Charles Ryrie told a bunch of us preacher boys in Chicago at one of uh, the Bible conferences up there I attended, and uh, he he spoke uh, keynote speaker. He was in his 90s. He's passed away now, but he said, uh, "Don't reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of stuff been done about these different books, and you can read different commentaries and things like that. As far as you know, the setting, as far as the time, who wrote it, you know, what, you know the different considerations by that. But but." But to, to really understand it, I, I, I kind of go with context, 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 and compare spiritual with spiritual. I think that's the good uh, technique of good Bible hermeneutics, and not necessarily read somebody's book about 
James, but read James yourself. And but as far as you know, I, I like C. I. Schofield for for the extra stuff. When did he write it? Uh, like like Thessalonians, Paul wrote the book of Thessalonians after being with them for thirty days. He wrote Second Thessalonians because when Timothy went to deliver the first letter, he came back and said, "Hey, these guys are all messed up in their." They think that you know these false preachers came in and and you know told them they missed the the, the rapture, so that's why there's so much in Second Timothy about the rapture, and um, I mean Second Thessalonians, excuse me. Anyway, back to uh, John's Gospel of of uh, John's Gospel. The first three gospels are called uh, what are they called? They're called synoptic gospels. They kind of summarize uh, and tell the same story, pretty much. A lot of you, you have to harmonize the stories, which a good good study Bible will do for you. Uh, in fact, I have a. Uh, I just I have to run and get it, and I'm not going to do that. But um, I uh, I have a, a harmony of the gospels that is just it's great it it's got uh one of the right uh one of the like matthew is in a, a just regular type i guess and then uh then luke or mark would be in uh underlined and then uh luke is in italics and uh john is uh, bold bold print Anyway, it's uh, very satisfying to read, and it just goes down the center. It's got wide margins. It goes down the center and just enters in these different uh, writers that are telling the same story. So you get the same story. And there's some uh, extra-biblical finesse, I would call it, and in, in, in the, the writer says that he you know, used his best judgment in, in harmonizing these events in the order that he did. But it's kind of fun to read all about. Uh, a story that that's covered in three or four of the of the gospels and the crucifixion's covered in all of them of course uh john starts in the last uh eight years of christ's life i think and uh, uh luke of course starts with the great you know there went out a decree from caesar augustus that all the world should be taxed so it they're all valuable they're all Old Testament. I say that because I asked one of the one of the great uh, uh, he has a ministry to the Messianic Jews um, and to the Jews in general, Peter Cologne. And when I was in Chicago, I, they had a Bible, a Jewish Bible scholar up there, a believer. But uh, I asked him if he knew Peter Cologne. He said, absolutely. He's uh, he's very pronounced. Uh, uh, Theologian. Anyway, Peter Cologne was at our church, and I asked him. I said, is, just out of my own study of the Bible, I said, is, "Are the Gospels Old Testament?" And he just seemed excited and said, "Absolutely," because really, the New Testament, the the Church doesn't get its prominence until Christ has been rejected at the crucifixion, and they did it, you know, right up to the very end, you know. Pilate put the sign on his, you know, here's the king of the Jews, and and they said, change the sign, and, and he, he would not do it. 
But if they would have received him as king, and then that promotes the, the question, well, who would have died for our sins if the Jews would have received him? And I asked a, a Dallas grad uh, that question that went to our church, and, and he said that Pentecost and those guys said that that um, that uh, the, the Romans would have killed him because of his threat to Caesar and uh, as the king of the Jews. But anyway, it, it didn't happen. So as one of my best friends says, I don't answer, he's a doctor, and he says, I don't answer questions that start with the word if. If this had happened, you know, he, he carries that over to his study of the Bible too. So, but uh, I, I like the, the extra biblical saying that God knows what would have happened if what had happened hadn't happened. So he's, he's the God of the ifs also. But, but we probably should just stick with what did happen and try to figure out what's going to happen. That's called prophecy. And I have really gotten a, a, a kick out of that in the last few months in Bible study that I attend, a Zoom Bible study I attend from Southwest Community Church. Um, but anyway, all right, um, so we're going to take a look at John 20, 31, and I only memorized 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. It sounds like that believing, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you might have eternal life. Um, I would argue you've got to believe that, that you know, in the God of John 3.16, I don't know if believing Jesus is the Messiah is, is enough. I, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have every, everlasting life. I think I, the, the two fundamentals in Hebrews 6.1, uh, fundamental doctrinal truths of the, of the Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. I think repentance from dead works is you're not trying, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm still trying to work my way to heaven. That's, you know, that's not saving. That's not going to lead to salvation. You've got to repent of your dead works. You've got to quit trying to work your way to heaven, Hebrews 6.1, and faith towards God, from works to God. Uh, those are the prepositions right there. So uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 was a big part of my salvation, along with other verses like Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our sin, Savior. Uh, G the wages of sin is death. It's not going to church, walking old ladies across the street, or giving up stuff for Lent or whatever. It's because it's I couldn't even do that. The wages of sin is death. It's either yours or his. Peter Cologne did a, uh, since I brought him up, he did a, uh, a Passover meal for us. I forgot what they're called, but all my Bible friends are screaming right now what it is. But anyway, a Seder. He did a Seder dinner, and uh, I told you that I was a, a last-minute replacement for somebody that couldn't come as a table head. And the table head, he said, represents the, the head of the family. And I was freaking out because I was trying to figure out I didn't want to mess this up. You know, as an altar boy in the Episcopal Church, you don't want to kick the bells, you know, which I did one time, and you don't want to drop anything or whatever. But so I was kind of freaking out. And finally, he just goes, Pete, calm down. You're the head of a family here, representing the head of a family. You cannot mess this up. And I thought, wow, you know, and, and I heard a, 
uh, a fellow, you know, he did he did communion at our church uh, for the pastor. He stepped in. This was many many years ago, and and uh, he did the he did the wine before he did the or he did the grape juice before the the bread. And what anyway? Um, but you know, I told him afterwards. I said, "Hey, man, you can't mess this up. It's just family here." You know, so uh, so that's uh, we shouldn't get too excited about uh, stuff like that. But Peter Cologne corrected me on that one, and I did calm down, and I just enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed the seder. They have three flat breads, and they hide one, and whoever finds that can get a, depending on the wealth of the Jewish grandparents, can get a college education paid for or a nice gift or whatever. And that the third, the three. The three, they represent God. And I mean, wow. But uh, I may memorize Isaiah 53. Uh, eventually I will, but I think I'm going to. I just finished a really long one, Psalms uh, 91, 1 through 16, and I kind of want to do a lot of short ones. So I have some to talk about on my podcast here. But then once I get several of those, maybe like 11 short ones, I'll try to uh, start working on uh, Isaiah 53. You ought to read it. It's amazing. All right. Well, there's a, a quick story here in chapter 20, which is the second to last chapter of the Gospel of John. And it's uh, the verse that I memorized is the last verse of the second of last. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. But this is uh, written just right, right before it in the context of chapter 20 of John. In verse 24, the story, Jesus appears to the disciples, Thomas present. So that's just Schofield's uh, shorthand for saying this was after he appeared to the disciples after the crucifixion and Thomas wasn't present. So that's the setting for 24 through 29, which in my opinion introduced 30 and 31. Uh, here we go. Uh, I'm just going to start in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the, prints, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciple, Jesus' disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, with the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. So after the resurrection, and, well, during his life he could do the miraculous. At least the last three years of his life he did the miraculous. And, and peace be unto you, Whenever when he was walking across the water, he would say the same thing. Angels would say that when they appeared to people. Uh, he would, I think he said that when he was coming and they thought he was a ghost come, walking on the water. Uh, but then saith Thomas, then saith Jesus to Thomas, reach, I, I want to go back that, to that verse. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then 
saith Jesus to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me, and yet have believed. That would include me. It would include you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've turned from trying to work your way to heaven to faith in Jesus Christ, which I think are fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ, Hebrews 6.1, followed by four more in Hebrews 6.2, which I'll talk about at another time. But uh, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me and yet have believed. I'm in that group. But so is Abraham. Abraham hadn't seen Christ. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He believed God when God said, from your seed all nations of the world will be blessed. That was the promise of, uh, it wasn't the land, it wasn't uh, thousands of you know kids, it was the sand of the seashore. It was the one. It was the Messiah. And that promise was passed to Isaac, passed to Jacob, passed to Judah. Uh, take a look at the genealogies in Matthew if you want to go from Abraham to, to Christ, to Joseph. And uh, so it was 14. When you do that, check it out and see if you can come up with 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to uh, the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, and 14 generations from the Babylonian captivity to the Messiah. Uh, it, you can do it if you try. Just remember that uh, the Babylonian captivity didn't beget anybody. Don't count that as a generation. I think that'll help. But anyway, it's tricky, but I did it with my... I taught Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to four classes in a row the last two years of my teaching career, and boy, what a blessing that was. Um, a lot of fun. So, uh, no, I did that to seventh grade. Sorry, that was my seventh grade class. My sixth grade class was was um, a, a workbook, a very good workbook, I think, that was gospel to a revelation. Anyway, um, well, just back to 30 and 31. Um let me read 29 again. And Jesus saith unto Thomas, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. If it's, if it's in context here, this is, you know, before he left. But, of course, uh, you know, going back to, well, conclusion, according to Schofield, this is the conclusion why John wrote the gospel. So... It's, that's probably a small point. Many other, verse 30, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And, you know, it, I, the might, you know, isn't that cool, but I, I will say that it's it's all on you. 
It's all on you. A, a little bit of faith in Christ is enough. And a whole lot of faith in, in, not, in yourself, your own good works, your own whatever, belief that excludes Christ. The Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. If you don't understand uh, that God loves you, that He gave His only begotten Son as a gift, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Go to Leviticus and, and study Yom Kippur, the most holy day in Jewish history. There's one thing that the Jewish people have to do on Yom Kippur when the two scapegoats are sacrificed, the, scape, the, 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 the goat is a burnt sacrifice and the other one is tied up in the wilderness to die a slow and horrible death, but whatever. Um, but there's one thing that the Jews have to do on those two days, and that is nothing. And let me just go back to, uh, real quick, back to Peter Cologne. One thing he said in that, in that uh, Seder meal, when he was telling us about it and, and reading it to us out of the Bible, he uh, he said that that if you if uh, and I don't have the verses for this, but you could look it up or check it out. Um, I'm sure he read the scriptures for it. But the 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 lamb was brought into the home. It was a lamb without spot. Now I know that when I had little boys. They would have gotten very attached. To, and they did with the puppy. We we got we got them. Slept in bed with them. At least until they went to sleep. Then we fished the puppy out. But um, I, I remember specifically John was on the top bunk and and when we had this puppy and this was he was like five years old. I don't know if he remembers. Um, but anyway, the the puppy and uh, he became very attached to that puppy. And if you'd have brought a lamb into the home with little kids, we're talking about a baby, very cute baby sheep without spot, it would have become very attached. And now you've got to explain to your kids that you're going to sacrifice that animal, that you're going to uh, you know, eat that animal as the Passover meal in remembrance of the Passover of, of the 10th plague of the death of the firstborn in Egypt, which excluded anyone who had enough faith to put the blood of the Passover lamb over their door. I wonder how many uh, Egyptians were doing that. How many Gentiles were saying, after 10 plagues that, that, that Israel was spared of, I think they would have said, hey, I'm going to do whatever the Jews do, save my kids. But um, they, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't think he hardened all the, the, the Egyptians' heart. In fact, it says they came to him and begged Pharaoh to let the people go. But he had such control that he could could not let him go. But anyway, um, now you've got to explain to your children that that Lammy has got to die. And the way Peter Cologne said it, the way he would explain that was he'd say, "Kids, as far as God's concerned, it's either the lamb, the lamb of the Passover." Or you, and I—I I would have said, "Well, I, you know, I think I, I like lamb. You know, uh, I will definitely uh, partake of of lamby. But I, I guess you know, you don't have to eat lamb to be saved, and you could pass on lamby if that's the way you feel about it. But you cannot pass on the lamb of God. 
And um, there was a musical one time that we did. I just love this extra biblical story. It's kind of not extra biblical because there was a man that was forced to carry the cross. And he was the father of two sons that are mentioned in, in the Bible. And I, the name escapes me right now. You can look it up in the Gospels. And he, Christ was so beaten that he couldn't carry the cross. I think under normal circumstances he could have done that. I think he was as, as, as fit as any other man. But after what he went through, he could not carry the cross up the hill of Calvary, which just overlooks Jerusalem, the place of the skull. And he had this man, I forgot his name now, was, was, was gathered to carry it. And the musical goes that, that he was in charge of two boys. Well, when he's carrying the cross, it's kind of hard to watch the two boys. And the, the extra biblical story is a very touching Easter program that um, when, when it was all said and done, the boys and the father are reunited. And, and I picture them as young boys. And they would have said, Dad, we lost the lamb. We don't know where the lamb is. And at the end of the musical, the father who carried the cross for Christ part way to the place of crucifixion said, pointed up to the the dead body on the cross. I think he was in paradise, like we're absolute body present with the Lord. But the Lord isn't in paradise. That's something I've explained before. But anyway, um, sons, behold the lamb. He, he didn't care about the sacrifice of a lamb anymore because he knew that the Lamb of God had been sacrificed on the cross for our sins. And that's uh, what happened to animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. If you have any questions about that, read the book of Hebrews. Find out that Christ is better than all of that. And that, that the blood of sheep and goats never took away sin. All right, well, I'll let you go. I will say adios, which means to God. And I guess I can say Happy Thanksgiving because that's what that's what day it is. So, adios. I'm trying to, yeah, okay. Adios to God and via con Dios, go with God. <laughs>